Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, give us over to humiliation. Give us over to shame and mockery. And as we follow this path, may we be blessed in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. About two years ago, there was an article that was published in the New Yorker. Now, this article was titled, How a Young Woman Lost Her Identity. It was the story of Hannah Up. She was last seen in the Apple store, and two days had passed. A search party was sent out for her, consisting of her mother and her closest friends and the community. Now, as they searched for her in her town, she was spotted all of a sudden in a Starbucks. But before the search party and the police could get to her, it was discovered that five minutes before they arrived, she had slipped out of the back door. People wondered if that was the chance that they missed to find Hannah. But days passed And someone by the local river spotted a body floating. They rushed down to see who might it be, fearing the worst. And there was Hannah. Her skin was pruny. She had been there for some time. But she was alive. There was still breath in her body. Quickly, they pulled her to shore. They asked her how she was, and she seemed disoriented. They said, Hannah, are you okay? But Hannah wasn't Hannah as she knew it anymore. The people that her friends and mother had been searching for somewhere in that travel transitioned into someone new. In fact, they took her to a psychiatric care facility. They run and ran neurological tests on her. But everything was fine. Everything came up normal. As she talked to counselors and psychologists, it was soon discovered that Hannah had a rare psychological disorder disassociative fugue, a rare condition where the person no longer identifies with their memories anymore. They no longer associate themselves with their autobiographical information. And this leads to an unexpected season of travel when they're making this transition into this new person or personality. This story of Hannah's life and this rare condition of disassociation, when we think about what it means to reflect the shepherd, has a lesson for us today. Psychologists who have studied this condition actually do not think that it's so abnormal after all. Though it's rare, they actually believe some of them 
the top scholars believe that this actually speaks to something deep within the human experience, something deep within each of us. And in fact, if you and I are going to reflect the shepherd, reflect Jesus in our life, there is going to need to be some willful disassociation in our lives. Today, we're going to see in Scripture how reflecting the shepherd really means dying to self, but not dying to self in the way you may have heard of it before, the way that you have tried to apply it to your life before in in vagueness and in platitudes. This is a willful disassociation that is going to be tough. And Paul talks about it. Paul shows us what it looks like in the book of Galatians. Turn with me there to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we are going to start in verse 19. Galatians 2, 19. Paul states, and I'm reading from the NLT, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. There is an amazing phrase in this verse that may have just become common to us because this verse, especially Galatians 2, verse 20, has become so familiar to us over time. But it is a unique phrase that Paul, the apostle, actually coins in this verse. I am crucified, or I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. There is only one other time that this phrase is used in Greek or Roman literature, and that is in the gospel accounts. In Mark, for example, chapter 15, verse 27, when Jesus was crucified, it says that there were thieves or revolutionaries, depending on your translation, who were crucified with Christ. But here Paul gives this phrase a whole other meaning than what you might expect. As I said, he coins the term. What is Paul talking about when he says that you and I, when we enter into this faith relationship with Jesus, when we pledge our allegiance to the king, what does it mean to be crucified with? When Paul talks about crucifixion, he rarely or if ever is talking about pain. In fact, the Romans had a number of painful and torturous methods in which to kill a person. But crucifixion, as Paul is going to show us in his usage of this phrase here, crucifixion isn't so much about the pain, though it was an awfully torturous event. 
an experience. It wasn't so much about the pain as much as it was about the mockery, the shame. It was a death where people could come up to you and mock you to your face as you're dying. For Paul, when he says, I am crucified with Christ, he is saying that I have been shamed. I have been mocked. There is a part of my experience which I can no longer continue in, a life that I once lived. There's two lives mentioned here, the life in which Christ lives in me, which he lives in you, and yet there's this old life that is being done away with, this life I live in the flesh, where I had status, where I had notoriety, and that is no more. In fact, when I stand in that old circumstance, that old paradigm of status, I will only find embarrassment and humiliation. Let me give you an example. For me, before I actually realized what this phrase actually entailed, and it was only recently after studying this with uh, Dr. Che at seminary, the book of Galatians, that my whole world was turned upside down. You know, there's that phrase where Jesus says, count the cost. And it was like, after the fact, this is the cost. And let me give you an example. So before I had my class and studied Galatians with Dr. Che, um, it was the summer of 2018. And I remember that summer well because it was the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup. And if you were to ask me what my background is, what my descent is, I was born in Canada, but I would say I am a Croatian-Canadian. Even though I'm only a third generation Croatian, and it's only on my father's side. There's something about that culture that assimilated who I was from an early age. Whether it's wearing the traditional garb as a kid and having your photo taken, hearing the language at, at, at your grandmas and your aunts and uncles, and, and hearing that conversation, eating the food, such good food, to the soccer, which really kicked off in the year 1998 when this little nation, Croatia, just upset these great soccer powers in the world. And then recently now, in 2018, I was on the other side of the continent because I was at seminary and I was able to go visit home for me, Mississauga, Ontario, in which there is a Croatian park there and they would watch the soccer games there. And so I was with my family and we were watching the games in our backyard and this little nation was upsetting these great soccer powers. And I remember going out to the streets and celebrating with other Croatian Canadians. And it was an amazing occasion. But as I came to study this text, and actually before I even studied the text to see what this phrase, crucified with, was all about, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, ever since I realized that Jesus is enough, what he did on the cross is enough for you and me, that affinity and identification I had in this Croatian-Canadian culture, it changed forever. 
because when I gave my allegiance to Jesus and when he filled me with his spirit, there were things in which I was convicted that I can no longer do that I used to do as part of that culture. There were expectations I could no longer fulfill. Simple things like at Easter, you would, you would have, uh, the, the people would gather around, this was before the meal, and you would celebrate with peach schnapps, an alcoholic beverage. I couldn't have shots anymore. Uh, a Croatian delicacy, though it may sound to your hearing, I loved it. It was roast pig. I no longer could eat that, nor did I want to. And these things that you cannot fulfill, these expectations that you cannot meet in this cultural setting, your family or your cultural community looks at you and goes, what's wrong with you? And it's shame. It's mockery. It's embarrassment. The status that you once had is taken away. And all that's left is humiliation. The status that the Apostle Paul had as one of the leading teachers in Judaism is stripped from him. People are questioning whether or not he is a Jew. In fact, in the church, he's being crucified. He's dying daily. He's crucified with Christ. People are saying, is this man even an apostle? The way of Christ the way that we have lost in our Christian experience when it comes to reflecting the shepherd and dying to self is embracing that the power of God is found in the mockery, is found in the shame. In fact, that's why Paul has to continue on in Galatians chapter three, verse one, and he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. You see, in the church, in Paul's day, not unlike our day today, there are those who still want to hold on to worldly status instead of embracing the shame. But Paul is very clear in identifying that the Son of God is found on the cross And the power of God is found in that shame. And the glory of his character and of his love is revealed in the mocking. And it's no different for us who want to follow our shepherd, who want to be led by him. But too many of us, like the Galatian church here, we have found ways to maintain our status, whether it's being entrenched in these cultural things that we know as Christians we have no place in anymore, no part in. But there are other ways which I see in our world in which we try and grasp at the status rather than the mocking, embracing the cross that Jesus calls us to. Before I was a Christian, for example, I was very politically savvy. In fact, in grade 10, I remember joining, I won't say which political party, but I remember joining a political party and it was the provincial elections and I went to volunteer for this uh, member of provincial parliament in Ontario, or at least aspiring member of provincial parliament. And I sat down with some other adults, I was the youngest in the room at the desk, and I started making cold calls for this candidate. And 
you know, not to toot my own horn, but I loved it at the time. And I, I felt like I was good at it. In fact, people were recognizing it. In fact, they were weary at first that this, this uh, 15 or 16-year-old who was, who was making cold calls would do an adequate job for their candidate. But by the end of it, there were so many people that I was able to say, wow, I led them to the polls. I led them to vote in this direction. But not unlike my cultural affinities and my loyalties and expectations that I found myself in, these political allegiances too, when I gave my life to Jesus, have been crucified. And really, for us as Christians, when you look at whether it's the left or the right, we will only experience, if we are following Jesus, shame. Now, it doesn't mean that when we follow Jesus, we are not going to be misunderstood or misclassified as being political, but no longer is my allegiance to a party, but to the kingdom of God and his ethic. And what that means, what that means is the mockery and shame that comes can come from either side, as I said. It means that sometimes because I am part of this kingdom of God, that you are part of this kingdom of God ethic, that you are going to cry out against injustices that are happening in our world to the scorn of others in some political paradigm. It means at the very time of this recording, and maybe even at the time that this is being shown, that it still makes sense, and it does make sense even at the time that this is being shown, even if the enthusiasm has faded, it still makes sense to say things like, Black Lives Matter. Shame and embarrassment from one of the political spectrums and sides come when you say something like that, and not just say something like that, but when your words become actions, and you, who, if you're like me, who, through their privilege and through their history, stands historically on the side of the oppressor, now stands on the side, as Jesus often did himself, on the side of the oppressed. But though that might result in mockery and embarrassment and shame from one side, the right perhaps in this case, there are other times where, where the scorn of the other side, the left, when you stand for kingdom principles will come. And you will receive equal, if not more, embarrassment when you stand up and you give voice to the innocent, unborn life that will bring scorn and shame as well. You see, the political paradigms of this world are no longer things that we identify with anymore. We might want to hold on to those things that we were good at and that we received status from and notoriety from, but Paul is saying, oh foolish ones, who has cast this evil spell on you? Why do you want to still identify with worldly status? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Now, there's one other way that we can just cling to status 
rather than embracing the shame of the cross, being crucified with Christ. And we saw it in verse 19 where Paul says, I died to the law. And if you were to continue on reading in verse 2 where Paul asked them the question, were you saved by keeping the law of Moses? Or were you saved by faith, by giving your allegiance to Jesus Christ through and being filled with his spirit? There are some of us Christians in the church that make make a way to hold on to this notoriety. It's through this outward observance to the law. And we seem so pious. And we, we gain these positions of authority in the church. And it comes with some sort of status. But it's emptiness. The only way that we will find hope and peace and joy and the power of God is in the way of the cross and in the mocking. That's why Paul says this in Galatians 6, as we start to wrap up here. Galatians 6, verse 14. Paul says something amazing here in Galatians 6, 14. He says, as for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. In other versions, it might say, the world has been crucified to me and I to it. What's Paul saying? He's saying the world, it looks at me, it mocks me. I'm no longer identified with my culture anymore, with my political authority that I once had. Not even the law in which Paul claims that if anyone could claim perfection to upholding an outward observance of the law, it could have been him, but even in that, he says, nope, there's only shame when others look at those things and apply it to me. So he's saying, when he's saying the world is crucified to me and I to it, he's saying the world mocks me, but I mock it. Because no longer is my allegiance found in those old things of status, worldly status and gain. Even in the church, it's not about that anymore. It's about embracing the way of humiliation. This is what it means to die to self. It, it, the experience is not unlike a situation a couple of years ago in Cape Town, uh, South Africa. Day zero, they called it. It was expected in the spring of 2018 where the city's water supply was going to run dry. They were literally going to turn off the municipal taps because for years there had been an anemic rainfall in that area. And so they kept pushing that day 
back and back and back through various water conservation efforts, no swimming pools in the public, even in your backyard. People who are visiting as tourists even could only take a shower for so long. But not unlike the law in Galatians or this worldly status that we cling to, these water conservation efforts were not the answer. They only prolonged the inevitable if the city was not going to get an abundant amount of rain. Sure, maybe the rich in the society could have lasted a little bit longer through what they had accumulated and stored up than, say, the poor. But even they would have succumbed to the drought if the rain did not fall. That's what faith needs to replace for us. We need to stop living on the rations of status and outward observance to the law. We need to have an allegiance to Jesus which will invoke from the world shame and mockery, but it will lead to the life of salvation and of hope, joy, and peace. So I'm asking you today, when you are during this week thinking about contemplating, applying what it means to reflect the shepherd, be crucified with Christ and boast only in the cross. Yes, you might not fit in those old places, but you will belong to the kingdom of God and experience in the midst of the humiliation the power of God dwelling in you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is enough for us, that what he did on the cross is enough. Bring on the shame. Bring on the mocking so that we may experience the power of God through following our Savior and our Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Where we have fallen short in the past, forgive us and cleanse us in his blood. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.